What is going on, guys, and welcome to the Mountain Podcast. We are in a brand new sermon series with lead pastor Samuel Goulet. We are talking all about sons first and being a son and daughter of God first above anything else. And then what trickles down after that. I actually got to be there for this sermon. It's incredible. You guys are really, really going to enjoy it. Um, We're going to have this series for the next few weeks. It's going to be dynamic. I hope you guys are ready for it, but I'll stop talking and let Sam take it from here. So Samuel, brother, take it away. So sons versus servants. Sons have this really amazing opportunity to walk with Jesus in a certain way, Uh, but we can tend to see that uh, this servant idea, the servant concept uh, is a part of it. And so we've got to bring really great perspective today to who we are and then what we do and then why we do it. And this is what we'll be doing a lot this month is speaking to the emphasis of sons and sonship or daughtership uh, as the driving identity force of what we do and why. So there we go. This is what we're going to jump into today. Let's pray together. Father, you're just such a good father. And we just pray that you would be in this place to illuminate within our hearts the nature of who you are inside of us as sons and daughters, God. And we just pray that your presence would be in this place. And we pray that your hands, God. That's what I see for some people that are sitting in these seats, some people that are in this sanctuary right now, that, that God's hands as an author, God's hand as a potter, that God's hands as a shaper and molder are just reaching into your heart today are just reaching into your heart today. And just, Father, I pray that you'd be present in this place, God. To be present in this place. We love you, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. Yeah. Come on. Amen. Amen. In Romans 8, 13 through 15, it says something really beautiful. I want to read to you guys right away. It says, for if you live by its dictates, it's the old man and the old sinful nature, Uh, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Uh, There's a difference between sons and servants. Uh, When you're a son, you're also a servant. But a servant doesn't necessarily mean that you're a son. There's a real distinction and difference between the mentality, the approach of a person who serves in the house of God and a person who is a son of God or a daughter of God. There's a real distinction that has to be established because it can be cultural for us to engage in a servant mindset of who he is, to understand the will of our Father in heaven and then to seek to effort to do it would be very much the mindset simply of a servant is I know what the will of my master is. I'm going to to seek to do it and effort towards it. But a son is a little bit different than a servant, or a daughter is a little bit different than a servant. A son or a daughter actually becomes the will of father, doesn't just do the will of father. And there's a strong difference between doing and actually being, or efforting to do something and then actually being that thing which you are attempting to do. John 15 talks about it really well in the whole chapter. 
It talks about abide in me and I in you. And as I'm in you, you're in me. And then I'll live and breathe inside you. Uh, you're, a, you're a branch connected to the vine. Uh, and we see that these, these things that come out of us and through us when we're connected to the vine are the fruits of the spirit because they come from our connectedness to the vine. And then we produce fruits. And this is the invitation of our lifestyle is to create and or to see created in us the behavior of God that comes from great connection. The difference would be the man or the branch that's on the ground that's looking at the branch that's connected to the vine and going, I want to produce that fruit that that branch is able to produce in connection to the vine. But until that branch on the, on the ground or until that branch then goes from being disconnected from the vine to connected to the vine, it has no ability to produce the fruitfulness of a son or a daughter. And thus, we can see that in a place of servanthood alone, we actually cannot produce the identity of God inside of us. We can only seek to spin our wheels and strive towards being like Father without the actual juice that comes and or is needed to be like Father. Uh, John 15 talks about, uh, about being in this, uh, being connected to this vine. And there's a beautiful scripture that I want to read to you that's connected to it because it, it goes beyond just understanding that I'm connected to this vine. It actually looks like us literally giving up a former mindset of who we were. And in John 15, 15 through 16, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know his master, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So we see this place. We see this invitation to be connected to Jesus and understanding that we cannot produce the behavior of the righteousness of God in a disconnected place. So no matter what your age is, it doesn't matter whether you've been in the church 30 years or you've been in the church three minutes or an hour and four minutes. It doesn't matter how long you've been connected in this community or culture because I've seen and I've been a part of community for a really, really long time. I've been a part of church community for, uh, I'm 30 years old, so 30 years. I grew up in church. And if you've been a part of church or if you've been a part of a culture of church, you have a mixed bag of individuals that really, really get it. They're connected like sons, and they've connected directly to Heavenly Father. And you can see, not perfection, but you can see out of the connection, there's a very real overflowing inside of them that calls out. In the Bible, it says, look, you've been given the Spirit of God. In Galatians, it talks about it. I might read it to you. You've been given the Spirit of God, and with inside of you, it actually cries out, Abba, Father. See, this is why sons actually become his will. They don't just do his will, they become his will. Because when you are given the spirit of your heavenly father inside of you, that very impartation predicates a longing and perpetuates a longing and drives you to connection. 
If you know anything about Father, when you're in a place of connection with Father, He establishes a love narrative that perpetuates righteousness, that perpetuates freedom, that perpetuates healing, that perpetuates shifted mindsets, because we don't just see His will and seek to do His will, but we actually see His will and seek to receive that which is the Spirit of His will, which is the Spirit of Heavenly Father. Inside of us, it actually causes change change. It's a big difference between doing what you know is right and becoming that which you know is right. And uh, uh, it's pretty normal. Yeah, it's, it's pretty normal to experience Jesus in a church culture way and to go, okay, yeah, I, I'm kind of catching the drift here. I know that, the, okay, so it's commandments. Don't do those things before marriage. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't cuss. Don't murder, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie. I got the Ten Commandments in my car. I posted them up on the thing. Okay, so I've figured out what's going on here, what I'm supposed to do. And the easiest thing to grasp when we're first starting this dynamic, or maybe when we've been in it for a long time, the easiest thing to grasp and to hold on to is that which we're supposed to do. You might call them the commandments of God. You might call them uh, the decrees of God. You might call them whatever you want to call them. It's very clear in the word what we're supposed to do in righteousness. But Jesus talked about in John 15, he says, hey, if you love me, you'll do my commandments. And actually a real better way to understand it is that you will do what I command you because you love me. It's the service and or the overflowing love service that we give as a husband or as a wife to our spouse. Not an obligation or duty, but an actual overflow affection for our spouse that we are in covenant with. That we go to great lengths and we spend great portions of our money and we, we serve and we love and we forgive. These things are predicated and caused not on obligation or the duty of, of, of a husband or a wife, but they're actually caused on this underlying narrative of love. And in this place, we see that it actually doesn't just set the tones for what his commandments are, but it gives us the ability to perform his commandments. Romans 12.2 it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And at the end of the thing, it says, so that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. You know what's beautiful about that? Is that you're capable of performing his will because you've been transformed into his will. It's a real cart before the horse scene, uh, is that many times, and it's, it's really, I don't believe it's anybody's fault. I don't believe it's pastor's faults necessarily or your fault necessarily that the way becomes defined by our actions and by our commandments. I really don't believe it's anyone's fault because you have to make a connection to, okay, you're encountering the spirit of God. There's implications on your behavior, right? In discipleship, there are implications on your behavior that Really, if you're encountering him, you'll see that your language changes, right? So if I went from a place uh, and uh, if I went from a place of, of cussing and using really aggressive, violent language, and then I received Jesus, 
in that receiving of Jesus, there will actually be a shift in my language, not because in the Bible it says, don't use filthy language or let no filthy language proceed from your mouth, not because of that, but because I actually realize that when I'm cussing or when I'm using that language, it's in a place of violence, aggression, and anger. And when I recognize the difference that exists between my father's language and my language in that place, I go, God, please forgive me. Forgive me, not, be, not just because this is a, it's a commandment in the Bible or it talks about doing these things in the Bible, but I want to I change my behavior because I love you, I'm in connection with you, and I see that you are not like that. And when I experience you in relationship, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like cussing somebody out when they cut me off or giving them the middle finger. I don't feel like that. Although it is, it is really still difficult today to be cut off and flipped off. It, isn't it difficult for you guys? It's like, wow, that is very angry. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. But there's not really a lot you can do to make a good reconciliation. You can't talk with your horn. You know what I mean? Like, I wish there was horn Morse code. You know what I mean? Which could just say, I am so sorry. Please forgive me sincerely. Like, you know, maybe that. Maybe we should make it up, right? That means like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, you're right. Just go ahead. But there's really no way to make reconciliation there or to say, I am wrong. Please forgive me. Um, but we see that there's this, there's this invitation, there's this culture that we begin to engage in a community that, I mean, I don't think I'm, I'm misspeaking on this, but you get a really strong sense of what it should mean to be a Christian. You should love. You should have joy. You shouldn't speak poorly about other people. You shouldn't cuss people out. You shouldn't lust. You shouldn't have sex before marriage. We become really familiar with what we're supposed to do. And there's really nothing wrong with becoming aware of what the kind of commandments of God are or what his instruction is for our life. There's nothing wrong with being aware of that. But a servant seeks to accomplish the instruction and the commandments of God without a relational connection. A son accomplishes those things with a relational connection. It's actually the thing that gives him the ability to accomplish all of those things. And so we see that Really, the, the commandments or the instruction of God, they can't just be perceived or seen as like linear, like direct, which is like left foot now, right foot now, uh, you know, say hi now, uh, now, now pray for that person now. Uh, they, we really can't perceive or interpret God as somebody who gives very detailed instructions in that way because it would just be more of a servant's way of perceiving our relationship with God, which is what is your will? You need to tell me what your will is so I can accomplish it. See, when, when we're sons, we actually become the very spiritual essence of his will, which means that there's something living and breathing inside of me that wants out. Something good. Something that desires to pray for somebody. Something that when sees somebody hurting, wants to go meet them in their place of need. But see, you'll get really tired if you do these things because you know you're supposed to do them and you're not connected to life. 
Because Father is the true essence of our love life language and expression. He causes me to serve. He causes me to love because it's who he is. And when he's in me, it literally is saying like, Abba, Father. (laughs) Abba, Father, I want to be connected to you. I want to be like you. And I actually have the fuel to be like you because you've actually given me water that's never going to have me thirsting again everlasting on an everlasting glory to glory it doesn't make me tired because I'm not on a treadmill spiritually I'm not running in place trying my hardest and just feeling like this is torture which by the way treadmills are torture running is so that you can see the world treadmills literally eliminate that (laughs) i hate treadmills (laughs) now if you're exercising and you want to be diligent about exercising you need encouragement i'm going to go ahead and tell you treadmills are great (laughs) stay on the treadmill it's awesome do your thing but there's this element that like god actually invites us to be sons and daughters it's more difficult than being a servant because the process of dying is a part of it He says, pick up your cross, follow me every single day. You want to live in me? You want to have life in me? Then you need to die to yourself. See, (laughs) servants, or in the Bible when it talks about servants or slaves, they're really closely tied together. There's different Greek words to it, but in a lot of ways, in different translations, you'll see them kind of mixing back and forth. Um, The word servant or slave, same Greek word. But you see these places that it's entirely about being paranoid and or being fearful that you're not doing what he's saying you should do. But a son or a daughter is not paranoid like that. They're not driven by fear. They're actually connected in love, and they do because of love. They don't do to gain love. They do because they're in love. And when they're in love, it defines and it perpetuates their behavior. It allows them and or it informs them to do things differently. It transforms their language. It transforms their approach. Because there's too many nuances. There's too many things that are, that are very, very hard to perceive of direct instructions. Like when you're parenting, it's like you want to look for instructions, and there's plenty of them in there. But there's also situations where you're trying to measure and you're trying to weigh. What does it mean to exercise mercy here or exercise justice here? And the throne of God is mercy and justice. So we don't just see the merits of justice, which has come down hard. We also see the merits of mercy, which is follow his spirit. He'll show you when to lend mercy or grace. Follow his spirit. He'll show you when to fight for justice and or how to pray for justice. Follow who he is. And some of those more nuanced elements will actually become illuminated and not just illuminated and revealed to you. They'll actually start to flood out of you. I remember I was, uh, I was the Kairos director for a, for, for a bit, uh, and now I'm, I'm really connected to school, love it, but Tana is our Kairos director, and she's awesome. Uh, but there's, when I was in it, and I was meeting with students all the time, there is no rule book that you can find that would author every single step as a father, as a discipler. There isn't. There's so much in the word that's beautiful. There's so much in the word that's amazing, that gives you great instruction. But how many of you know when you've been in a place of either trying to be a father or mother or trying to be a spiritual leader, when someone does something, it's not always clear how to handle it. So when somebody makes a sin, 
makes a boo-boo, makes a mess, and they're in school of ministry, what do you do? It doesn't say in the Bible, hey, listen, first years when they make this mistake, handle it this way. And then when second years make this mistake, handle it this way. Uh, you know, it doesn't say all of those details and instructions. What you have to do is you have to be in prayer. You have to be connected to God's heart, God's heart for people. You have to weigh and you have to measure what should be done and what, what, what God wants to do and what needs to be done. And then what's just fearful expectations. You've got to measure all these things and all of a sudden God begins to illuminate the way that's way more nuanced. It's way more detailed. It's way more relational and way more connected because God doesn't just work in basic instruction. He works in transformation. God is not just an informative God. God is a transformative God. And that's a hard place to be. How many of you guys know trusting God to transform you is way more difficult than just learning up here? It's way more difficult. It's way more terrifying. Are you kidding me? It's terrifying. It can challenge. You can have you be in a place of absolute fear, and you can be like terrified. You're like, oh, this is so tough. I want to live by what I know. And right now what I'm doing is I'm chasing God and pursuing God in the mystery, but I don't really know what this all looks like right now. You know, the Bible does it so well. I believe it's in Colossians. talks about the mystery being revealed is that God in so many ways to us and in our different seasons and phases of life can really be felt almost like a mystery. Like the season I'm in right now, I can't make a breakthrough based on what I've known because he's doing a new thing and he's bringing me from glory to glory. So the only way that I can break through or grow or find revelation is if I'm willing to go into those really, really scary prospects of like walking in the mystery. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I went to an escape room for my wife's uh, birthday. How many of you guys have been to an escape room? You guys been to those? They're really fun. Uh, and they're like my favorite. I really want to go to them every night, but they're kind of a little too expensive for me to go to them every night. So if you want to pay for it and just hire me as a ringer, I actually, I think I might be good at it. I'm not sure, but I think I might be good at it. Uh, I really love it, though, because you walk into each room, and there's different themes and things like that. If you've never been in one, and the basic premise is they put you in a room, you have an hour to get out. And you got to find combinations and locks. you got to solve riddles and things like that. It's not scary or anything like that. Um, Unless you have, like, you know, like fear of being locked in. <laughs> then you might be scared. <laughs> uh, so, but there's these riddles, and you got to, it's just all puzzles, basically. And, um, but what's beautiful about it is when you have a puzzle, what do you have to do? You can't figure it out based on what you know. You have to find out what it means. You have to walk it out. You have to think it out. You have to talk it out. You are very much in the riddle of what it looks like to walk with God as a son or a daughter. It's not based on your confidence of knowing that's going to get you through or make you a son or a daughter because you will never be able to exercise sonship or daughtership based on what you know. In fact, it's really clear in the word that your sonship and daughtership is accomplished by you walking with God in what you don't know. So if you can't trust him, it's going to be impossible for you to walk as a son or a daughter. He will always love you. That's just unconditional and perfect. But if you cannot find and muster the courage to say, Father, I trust you, even though everyone else in my life has absolutely crushed my trust. 
if you can't find it in you to say, I'll give you my life, I'll trust you with my life, you're going to have a really difficult time walking this sonship out. You can live in the church for 20 years, be super familiar with what all the instructions of what it means to be a servant or to serve because God's called us to serve. The Bible actually says, you know, hey, listen, you want to lead? You want to lead? You want to do, do right by people? You want to be great? Then you're going to be the servant of all. Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve. So he set the standard for greatness. He set the standard for who we are. He said, listen, you're going to be a servant, but you're also going to be a son because you saw Jesus say, not only am I a servant of all, but I see what my Father's doing, and that's what I do. And I am literally the Spirit of God. He's like, I'm literally the Spirit of God. So in all of these things, you see resurrection power. You see servanthood. You see all of these things. And you can be all of these things, but they're all created by the posture of sonship and daughtership. They're all created. You become a servant because you're a son. You become a good servant because you're a son. But you cannot become a son because you're a servant. I know it sounds like paradoxical. It sounds like it's weird. But in sonship, God defines there's an element of it that you are going to choose to serve. And you're going to be in a place where you want to serve. And you've got to allow your humility to be found so you can serve all. Because this is who Father is. He's great and he's powerful. He's great and he's powerful, but he's full of perfect love. So what does it look like to be somebody who's powerful and yet somebody who's humble? What does it look like to be somebody who's full of the gifts of God, but walks in the meekness and the humility to understand that they aren't the all, end all, be all? Because that's what's required in the body. We are multiple facets. We are multiple gift mixes. We are multiple offices. We're not one kingship, lordship that dictates the will for all. When you come in this place, you don't experience my will at work. You don't experience my influence alone to dictate the authorship of community. What you experience is a person in here with you that is seeking the narrative and the will of God and the transformation of Father in my life. And inviting you to that place of boldness and courage. It's not about my will. It's not about my narrative. It's about the narrative of Father in your life. And so when you walk in this place and you experience preaching and you experience teaching, it cannot be your primary driving force for your behavior or transformation. That's got to be the voice of God. That's got to be the voice of God. That's got to be your primary narrative, your primary driving force. Listen, there's nothing wrong with you experiencing great teaching. There's nothing wrong with you loving it, loving sermons, loving teaching, loving experiencing and receiving these things. There's nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing wrong with experiencing revelatory speaking that blows your mind. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But there's something desperately wrong if that's your entire sustenance. If your only connection of intimacy is via someone else, then you're not in covenant marriage. Someone else is, and they're telling you about how awesome it is to be married to God. But just because I tell you about how awesome it is to be married to my wife doesn't make you married to my wife. Just because I tell you how awesome it is to be married to God doesn't mean you're married to God. 
Because being married, being in covenant with God, when he says, look, this is my body, this is my blood, take it and remember, this is a new covenant I'm giving to you. A covenant of connection and relationship to Jesus. This is sonship, connected to the Son of God. And intimacy of covenant with God. This is what sonship is. Not to hear from someone else what Jesus is like and then to make effort to being that. That's, that's like trying to get a gold star on your paper in preschool. That's like trying to get A's in, in school. Someone else telling you this is the information, memorize it, rehearse it, so that when the test comes, you'll be seen to get an A. This isn't school. It's not sports. There's no performance here that's needed. There's, no, there's nobody judging that can dictate whether you're a son or a daughter. That's between you and father. That's between you very in a very personal way between you and God. There's not a measurement of maturity that dictates whether you're a son or a daughter, except that when you've been walking as a son or a daughter for a while, there's certain behaviors that are fruits of the Spirit that can be recognized in your life. But once you give your life to Jesus, once you receive the Spirit of God inside of you, and it's crying out, Abba, Father, you're becoming a son or a daughter in the fullness. And you've received the fullness of who he is that says, you're my child. And sure, you may be a maturing son or daughter, You may have just been born, and you're still pooping your pants spiritually. You know what I mean? And that's okay. It really is okay. There's a lot of maturity phases to sons and daughters. But the minute you've been born again, you're born into this sonship. You're born into this daughtership. You're born into a thing that actually cultivates new behavior inside of you. I was a psych major, and now I'm studying for my master's, uh, the Bible. Uh, And, uh, yeah, whoop. And uh, there's, uh, there's really interesting things that psychology says about who we are. Psychology says that you're a product of nature or nurture. That the, the environment you were raised in or those that raised you, they made an impact on who you are. And nurture says, nope, that's nurture. Nature says that uh, it's in your DNA. It's, it's literally biologically, genetically inside of you. And it will drive your behavior. Many believe it's a balance of both. But this is what it looks like when you receive God, is it literally rewrites your DNA. It literally changes your predispositions genetically. So if you were an alcoholic because your father's an alcoholic, when you receive Jesus into your life, he rewrites the propensity and the potential of your blood. Because he says, this is my blood. I give it to you in a new covenant. If your blood carries the DNA of your earthly father and mother, when you come into covenant with God or a new spiritual covenant with God, it literally gives you access to a new blood, which says a new thing about who you are and now changes everything about who you are. It doesn't just make you not an alcoholic or not a a person addicted to something. It doesn't just break addiction. It doesn't just heal you from those things which your genetics, nature, and nurture caused. It actually creates something knew that never existed and you would have never had access to. But his blood is accessed through sonship, through daughtership. It's not accessed through service and it's not accessed through duty. So you can come in here, you could be an usher every week, you could well, you can mop the floors every single night, you could change out all the trash cans, you could be number one volunteer in this place and it would never earn you sonship or daughtership. It would never earn you that. And this isn't to say that you don't serve when you're a son. It says that you serve for a different reason. You serve because of him. 
You don't serve for him. You serve because of him. My invitation to you today would be an invitation of real connection and trusting that God will create new things inside of you, new behaviors inside of you, and be constantly willing and looking for that authorship he's doing in your life. If you, if you trust God with your life, if you trust God with your behavior and your character, then you'll trust that when you say, God, I give you my life, and when you seek him every single day, then you'll trust that he's actually doing a new thing inside of you. And I, I can never uh, under speak, I can never, I, I feel like I can never say it enough, that when you receive the spirit of God, it actually causes you to desire him and who he is. The Spirit of God inside of you, it cries out, Abba, Father. It cries out, Abba, Father. It cries out, God, I want to be like you. I want to talk like you. I want to walk like you. I want to speak like you. I have no idea what it looks like, but this is what I want. I want to be like you. And there's a, a beautiful scripture in Galatians 4, 1 through 9, and then we've got to wrap up. It said, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And uh, this, is, this is the invitation that I feel God does with us. Say, hey, listen, this is who you are in me. This is how I've created you. Brixton, you're going to move mountains. You're going to move mountains. And my wife and I would talk all the time about who he was, who God said he was. And actually what's beautiful is that it really clarified some things. Because when toddlers hit a certain age, they're moving a lot of things. Not just mountains. They're moving their daughter, their, their sisters around forcefully. You know, <laughs> their will is really beginning to be exercised, all development phases. Say, your kids at that toddler phase, you know, no becomes like their favorite word. And Presley makes me laugh because she learned the no word, but she doesn't even know what it means. She no. Do you want cake, Presley? No. She doesn't even know what it means. She just says it, and then she wants the cake still. But when, when we were getting that space with Brixton, it was our first toddler, so we were like, wow, this is interesting. Uh, this is a lot of fun and also not fun. What's the opposite of fun? The worst? Uh, <laughs> he's not the worst, but it was really tough in, in certain spaces. And the parents know. It's, it's, and and what, what I felt like Father reminded me of is I said, he said, listen, there's a thing about him that moves mountains. And he's relentless at times. But it's a thing of perseverance I put inside of him. It's yet to be matured. It's yet to learn the guidance of spiritual father or heavenly father, which says, yeah, great strength and will and determination, but also great humility and submission to who I am. And so it actually began to inform me about how he thought about my son as his heavenly father, about how to father him and how to help him develop. And I've had other conversations with other parents that had strong-willed kids that they were moving everything. I said, you know what's beautiful is that God's cultivated a mountain-moving capacity inside of him. That when he is about to go into the promised land, he's not one of the ten spies that will be like, oh, this is a bad idea. We're going to die. He's one of the two that's like, yo, which mountain do you want me to take? Which one? Show me the mountain. I'm going to take it. 
And he doesn't ask anyone for permission on whether he could take the mountain. He doesn't seek anybody else to give him affirmation about whether he can or cannot take that mountain. One voice matters in that mature mountain mover's life and mind and heart. And it's the voice of God that says, this is your land. Go there. Everywhere you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. This is the invitation. It's an invitation of sonship, of daughtership, not to be so occupied with the will of man and with the will of masters around us, but to be occupied and to be driven by the heart and the spirit of Heavenly Father. Which literally is not, it's irrelevant what other people think. It's irrelevant what any of us think because really what we're driven by is this unified spirit of God inside of all of us. Many parts, one spirit. There's a unity in spirit that simply says that I desire God. The one unifying element about us is that we are all in this journey of seeking God together. We're all in this journey of saying, here we come together. Not just to say, hey, what's going on? How you doing? But we come together so we can together with one voice say, we want God and we won't relent until we find him in our lives. This is the unifying aspect of us is that Abba Father is crying out, out of this place, not off of this stage, but out of this place, Abba Father's crying out. This is so that we have something together that would orchestrate hundreds of people singing together. But the real unifying aspect is not because we're singing the same songs. It's because we're singing to and from the same spirit. Well, that is going to do it for us today here on the Mountain Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure that you click subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is always welcome. We're going to continue this next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, that's right, with a brand new podcast talking all about sons first. And then Samuel and I will have a discussion up for you, possibly Wednesday or Thursday for you. If you haven't already, make sure that you go back and listen to some of our older stuff. We want to thank all of you that have downloaded and subscribed, and we will talk to you guys next time.